Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. A new bill is heading to the governor's desk. Now it's on the governor's desk. On its way to the governor's desk. Now on the governor's desk. Every year in the early fall, the governor of California has a bunch of decisions to make about the mountain of paper sent over by the legislature. There's so many of these bills that are coming by the hundreds. Hundreds of bills are piled up. Now in the hands of Governor Jerry Brown. The fate of these ideas and requests for spending rest with the governor's pen. Governor Brown has until the end of the month to sign a bill. Reject them or sign them into law. A lot of those decisions are pretty routine. Most are signed, a few are vetoed. That's just the way it works. But it's not exactly a bloodless exercise, especially for the bill's authors. Many of them have emotions attached to them. When Jerry Brown returned to the governor's office in 2011, he once again had to deal with the yearly demands of legislators, lobbyists, and activists who wanted his help. They want a bill, and if you don't give them the bill, they get very excited. And Brown says that when those interested parties ask the governor for his signature, they don't ask nicely. They don't say, I think it would be desirable to do X. They say, it's unfair. I'm suffering. I need. Give me. It's emotional battering. Of whom? Of everybody. I mean, the legend of the governor, of the legislators, of the staff. People, they can't buy you, but they can batter you. That's just the way it is. 28 years after he left the governor's office the first time, Brown returned with a more seasoned political mind. My capacity to evaluate, discern, and judge increased significantly. In this episode, we'll track Brown's return to state government, first becoming the state's attorney general and then winning back the governorship. With a new partner by his side, his wife Anne, he often blocked out conventional political wisdom and delivered harsh cuts to the state budget, ignoring the pleas of his Democratic base. His guiding principle? I reserve the right to think for myself, and I did that. From KQED Public Radio, this is The Political Mind of Jerry Brown. I have a political mind. How clearly do you see? How, how good is your eye? Get, get the ins out and to get the outs in. What, what wouldn't happen but for me? But for, but for me? I reserve the right to think for myself. Right to think for myself. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! 
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. You're listening to The Political Mind of Jerry Brown. I'm Scott Schaefer. After 40 hours of interviews with Jerry Brown at his ranch up in Calusa, we finally got around to talking about his return to state government. All right. Well, we got a lot of ground to cover, but we're in the home stretch. We are. We're in the seventh inning, I'd say. I hope so. Eighth inning. In 2006, Brown was mayor of Oakland. But being Jerry Brown, he was eyeing higher office. Specifically, a run for state attorney general. I thought it would be a very good office. I'd enjoy it. I I like legal questions. So I thought it would be, and my father was attorney general, and I always remember that he loved that office. Brown used his ability to think for himself in that 2006 run for attorney general. Brown refused to hire a team of political consultants. He doesn't go along with conventional wisdom. He's built up a a body of experience that uh, has guided him in terms of what he thinks is important and not. Steve Glazer, he's a state senator now, was one of the few advisors who Brown did lean on for help over the years. He has, over time, kind of disdains the, the tapestry and the conventional view of political engagement and has kind of carved his own path. Brown says that when he entered politics, people had a personal connection to the campaigns they worked on. The campaigns were more more like a cause. We were all working because we believed in it. The political business of paid people, who were, that is their life profession. I, I think that was much less in the 60s and 70s. In the last few decades, candidates have relied more and more on a class of political consultants to help them manage and message their campaigns. Now you're just a mercenary. You run a campaign, then you run somebody else's campaign. Did you resist that? I do still feel a little uncomfortable with that. Brown says he liked to take more control of his campaigns than most candidates. There are horses and there are jockeys. And I'm a horse, although I like to be a jockey at the same time. In his run for AG, Brown didn't have a team of jockeys, but he did have a secret weapon. I'm Ann Gust Brown, wife of uh, Jerry Brown. On our last trip up to Brown's ranch, I waited for the governor to leave the house to finally sit down with the person he trusts like no one else. Hey, Jerry, get the dogs out, too. (laughs) How did you two meet? We met in San Francisco in 1990. We met because I was trying to actually get him to meet a girlfriend of mine. That setup didn't click, but Ann and Jerry did. She was 20 years younger and would soon become a corporate lawyer with The Gap, and she wasn't really thinking about politics. I didn't know that much about him. When Jerry was governor the first time, Ann was an undergrad at Stanford and not paying attention to California's young governor. As I got to know him, he just struck me as someone so intellectually curious and interesting, way more interesting mind than most of the other men I had met. After dating for 15 years, Ann and Jerry got married in 2005. Ann was and is more than a spouse. She was a real partner who Brown entrusted with helping to steer his political career. 
After he declared his candidacy for attorney general, the Browns got to work. There was Ace. Ace Smith, Brown's longtime consultant. There was Ann, and there was me. And that was it. That was it, pretty small. So Ace would be on the phone over there, and I'll be over here, and Ann will be in there working on the spreadsheets for fundraisers. So that, it's not like you have a consultant campaign office with high rent. Brown trusted his own political mind so he could afford to have a small staff and entrust Ann to run the campaign. That was the first campaign I ever had been involved in. What was the learning curve like? Very steep. Very, very steep. And I I couldn't believe he was letting me do all of this stuff. I would say to him, Jerry, I'm a very good lawyer, but I, I've never run a campaign. What sort of ads we should do and how you would pay for them and who would film them and how you would write them and all of that. Most campaigns would hire consultants to do all that and pay a big price for it. Jerry didn't want to do that. He wanted me to do all of that. And I kept saying, this is ridiculous. I don't, you know, I don't even know how to go hire a good ad producer, let alone (laughs) I'm going to go become that person. But I did. And he said, don't worry, I've done this between you and me. We'll get it right. And we saved a ton of money on that. But that was nerve-wracking. The lean campaign operation run out of a small headquarters in Oakland worked. Also expected to win tonight is Oakland Mayor Jerry Brown, who again refashioned his political career to try to be California's next attorney general. Brown won the Democratic nomination in June of 2006 and then easily beat his Republican opponent, State Senator Chuck Puchigian, in November. Well, it's kind of back to the future with former Governor Jerry Brown also likely heading back to Sacramento, this time as Attorney General. So I feel very grateful and privileged to be able to stand before you on the evening 56 years later when my father won his first statewide office, Attorney General of California. Brown arrived in the job of California's top cop in January of 2007, nearly 40 years after he'd last practiced law. Some people might have felt rusty or needed help getting up to speed. But if there's one thing Brown is confident in, it's his own mind. First of all, you have to understand, I spend a lot of my time reading and talking to knowledgeable people. So I I want to emphasize that. I'm not taking the kids to the zoo or soccer games. Not settling in for Monday Night Football or a Netflix marathon. I'm not watching sitcoms. I'm not going to the movies. So when you're however old I was, I think I was in my 60s, right? That accumulates a lot of knowledge. As governor, he had created thousands of new laws on water, criminal justice, and the environment. So how hard could it be to enforce the laws already on the books, right? Uh, I knew the attorney general had water. I knew there was issues of criminal justice. I knew there were environmental issues. So I knew all those. So it wasn't like I had to get briefed on this or that. As attorney general, Brown believed that he could think for himself on most issues. And when he couldn't, there was Anne. I was a lawyer. I was a general counsel at the Gap. I knew how to manage lawyers. This was something I really could do. And litigation, I'd done all of this kind of stuff. She gave the attorney general's office the management and structure that Brown often lacked during his first time as governor. You know, talking with Jerry can be, you know, more of a a journey uh, to all different places where uh, I could land a plane pretty quickly and make the decision. Brown still had a keen political eye. And when the 2008 financial collapse hit, he saw an opportunity. 
More trouble tonight for the nation's largest mortgage lender. California. Brown wanted to sue Countrywide Financial in Los Angeles, one of the biggest pushers of subprime mortgages that helped crash the economy. I knew we wanted to go after Countrywide. But Brown says the career attorneys in the AG's office pushed back. They said the case was tough to prove, and because it affected homeowners nationwide, it should really be handled by the federal government. So there was a lot of resistance in the office to that. But Brown saw the responsibility, and maybe political opportunity, in channeling the anger of millions of people. I don't know how many people were losing their homes, but it's pretty amazing. It's a horror that happened. In the end, it was Anne who pushed the lawsuit to the finish line. In fact, the people that were there ultimately had to be removed, and Anne decided all that. Attorney General Jerry Brown filed a civil lawsuit yesterday alleging the nation's largest home mortgage lender by loan volume engaged in deceptive advertising and coaxed borrowers into risky loans with no thought for the future. Ann had stepped in, redirected the office's focus, and got the lawsuit filed hours before Countrywide was acquired by Bank of America. Three months later, California got a settlement. Bank of America agreed to provide $8.5 billion in home loan and foreclosure relief to countrywide customers. Over the next several months, we think tens of thousands in California and hundreds of thousands of borrowers throughout the country uh, will be enabled to stay in their homes. There's an old joke that AG stands for aspiring governor. Earl Warren, Pat Brown, and George Duke Majin all use the attorney general's office as a stepping stone to the governor's mansion. But Jerry Brown had already been governor. He didn't need someone to tell him how to use the job to his political advantage. I did not see any need to bring a lot of political advisors. Uh, and subsequent AGs have felt that need. I didn't see what the point was. I knew politics enough that I didn't need a lot of assistance in that realm. Still, Brown's decision to make another run at the highest office in California kind of shocked his wife. I thought, why on earth would you want to do that? It, it really was a shock. Anne had pretty good reason to be skeptical. California was facing fiscal ruin at the time with a massive deficit and a budget that was rarely, if ever, passed on time. And Brown was likely to face a daunting opponent in November. A leader with the integrity and proven skills to bring California back. Meg Whitman. Meg Whitman. Meg Whitman. Strong. Meg Whitman. The former CEO of eBay entered the race with years of business experience and a compelling case. She could make the dysfunctional and rudderless capital work a little more like the efficient and groundbreaking Silicon Valley. Well, it wasn't easy to see a path to victory. Steve Glazer, Brown's top political advisor, remembers the failing economy playing right into Whitman's economic message. People were unhappy with the status quo and, and wanted change and wanted leaders with experience to who could create jobs and turn the economy around. And uh, so having someone who could be perceived to be an old retread. That would be Jerry Brown. Versus a dynamic businesswoman. Seemed to be a very a big uphill climb. Perhaps more importantly, Whitman was rich, very rich. She was able to spend more money on her own campaign than any political candidate in American history before her. I knew we could never compete on her fundraising uh, or her spending. Once again, Ann Gus Brown would play a key role in helping her husband run his campaign. So I kept saying to Jerry, you know, if this election can be bought, we've already lost. Whitman had a small army of campaign consultants. Brown's campaign was basically his wife and Steve Glazer. But Brown was unfazed by Whitman's bottomless checkbook. So when Brown finally launched his campaign in March of 2010, he emphasized qualities that money couldn't buy 
a blunt confidence that his experience would help bring the state back from the brink. And the next governor must have the preparation and the knowledge and the know-how to get California working again. That's what I offer. And that's why I'm declaring my candidacy for governor. Brown's ability to, what he calls, think for himself, would be his greatest asset in the 2010 race. He knew the message he wanted to send voters and how he wanted to manage his candidacy. The skills would help him weather fierce attacks by Whitman's campaign, attacks that began just days after the primary in June. The Jerry Brown story, the real story. 40 years in politics, and failure has followed him everywhere. She started these ads against Jerry. They were 60 seconds long, just trashing him. His big spending turns a surplus into a billion-dollar deficit. And everyone said, we need to go up and counter those, and I said, we can't. Jerry and Ann stood firm and didn't open the campaign pocketbook for months. The political consultant class couldn't believe it. They took to the media, slamming Brown for letting Whitman punch first, letting her define his record ceding the airwaves to his opponent. We got all kinds of uh, negative press coverage about it, that we were running a mom-and-pop operation, we didn't know what we were doing, that, you know, we were going to get slaughtered. Brown says the consultants made the mistake of thinking that voters were paying as much attention to the campaign as they were. Everybody's talking, and, and all the political class thinks there's a lot of reacting going on in the electorate. After running so many races over the years, Brown wasn't going to cave to the opinions of the political chattering class. Since I'd done it a lot, obviously I had confidence in my own judgment. And therefore, just because someone's a political consultant doesn't mean I think he's going to know more than me. And Brown was already running neck and neck with Whitman in the polls without spending much money. They did seem to show that the race was close. And since she was taking all those TV ads out, and she was so attractive, I found that curious. Over the summer, Whitman's lead never grew past a couple points. So I said, well, let's not spend any money. Nothing's moving, so let's not rock the boat. So the Brown campaign held its fire, weathering attack ads and media criticism until around Labor Day of 2010, just two months before the election. Then they launched. I'm Jerry Brown. California needs major changes. We have to live with The minute we went up, on the air, just Jerry to camera, sort of reintroducing himself. He was the fresh face, first of all, in there, because Meg had been spending so much and had so many ads that all of a sudden it was like, there's Jerry Brown. I was the fresh candidate against Whitman because she, she had many times more impressions on television than I did. Whitman spent $144 million of her own money, but Brown's go-slow strategy paid off. A younger candidate might have followed the high-priced consultants and blown the campaign budget in June. But Brown and his small team kept their powder dry and took the lead in the race. Then there was the late-breaking news that Whitman had employed and then fired an undocumented housekeeper, and Brown began to pull away. California appears to have remained a blue state generally. Jerry Brown was elected governor over Meg Whitman. Beating back the biggest spending contender in American history. Full of energy, full of creativity, and ready to serve you, the people of California. Thank you very much. For helping Brown would take the reins of power at a time when California's future was very much in doubt. The 72-year-old Democrat now faces an even tougher task, putting back together what many feel is a fractured golden state. Chief among the problems, a $26 billion budget deficit. Well, I did not know how to solve the deficit. 
In fact, I thought about the idea of what is this going to mean? Because having a deficit is not going to be very popular or pleasant. In the campaign, Brown was able to think for himself by blocking out the advice of the political consulting class. Now, he would resist the calls of fellow Democrats who wanted to protect the state's vulnerable residents from painful budget cuts. Under the Republican governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the budget came with a combination of harsh cuts and some number fudging, assuming revenues that often didn't come through. But Brown was committed to avoiding those kinds of gimmicks. And we went about it in cutting, cutting a lot of popular programs that that if you really look at it, you'd say, gee, do you really want to do that? But we did. The budget proposed by Governor Jerry Brown almost evenly splits a $25.4 billion deficit, tackling half with spending cuts, half with additional taxes. Brown proposed slashing the state's welfare budget in half. Leading up to the budget, groups that serve the state's most vulnerable were bracing for the worst. And that's what they got. Tens of thousands of seniors would lose their in-home care. The governor is proposing a nearly $1.5 billion cut to California public education. Part of the problem was that the leaders of the state had treated people like children for so long, promising them pie in the sky without having to pay for it, putting it on a credit card, that now the bill had really come due. Gil Duran, Brown's press secretary, says the cuts were necessary but still tough to swallow. You know, that building, there were some days when it was just like a parade of suffering, people with disabilities, kids whose schools were being cut, uh, farm workers who weren't getting things they needed. Um, uh, it was just sort of a carnival of protest, and it felt pretty to be working there as a progressive Democrat and to have people protesting your boss and your actions. What were the, the toughest decisions you had to make around cuts? Probably vetoing the whole budget. Today, I have vetoed the California state budget. I do so reluctantly, but with clear purpose. In June of 2011, Brown rejected the budget sent to him by the Democratic legislature, arguing that they were exaggerating the amount of money the state would bring in. That was a tough decision, but it was crucial, because after that, the legislature became a lot more collaborative. What was the message in vetoing it? That this was a, a budget that wasn't a real budget. It had a lot of flim-flam, so I had to send it back. Sending it back meant meeting with Democratic legislators and delivering the bad news. And so when you've, you said that was a tough decision to veto it. Um, well, because you piss them off, I had to go into the caucus and be berated for an hour and a half in both houses. That's unpleasant. What did they say? I can't remember. I don't keep a, they yelling? I don't keep a tape recorder. That must have been one of the more memorable moments. Yeah, there, there was a lot of irritation. Well, a lot of politics. A lot of politics is people inventing their emotions. And instead of discussing things rationally, people like to emote. And they emote anger and resentment and victimization and deep concern. And that's kind of an emotional battering. So usually politicians are insensitive enough that they just wash it over them. But, you know, it's unpleasant. Daryl Steinberg was the state Senate president when Brown vetoed that first budget. That was a fight, and and he was trying to make a point. We didn't like it because we had gone through two years of bloodletting around uh, and making the most difficult of budget cuts. And the fight was about an additional $200 million in cuts he wanted in Health and Human Services. And we said, no, we had done enough. Brown ultimately signed a budget that did include billions of dollars in revenue assumptions, but the veto is what people remember. It's easy to see the political value in Brown taking a stand. 
Was there a value? Yes. Could I perceive that it would be a value? Or did I not understand? You, you decide. And so was there also a sense of, you know, saying, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to kick, keep kicking the can down the road, I guess. Well, use that phrase. Yeah. Well, I, I've never heard a governor say, and uh, I want to announce today we're going to kick the can further down the road. So that kind of, a lot of this stuff is just answers itself. But the budget veto didn't answer the fundamental question of how the state would regain its financial footing. For that, Brown would need a tax increase that Republicans in the legislature had blocked. Coming up on The Political Mind of Jerry Brown, The Thrust. Brown puts his political clout on the line to rescue California's budget. There was a lot at stake. Well, I think everything was at stake. Oh, everything. How people would perceive his governorship was at stake. With just a few years left to enact his agenda, can Brown move the needle on criminal justice and climate change? It's better to have a challenge to lead the charge, which I did. And with Donald Trump in the White House, we'll ask Brown how he approached the idea of the California resistance. The resistance is kind of a negative. You resist the occupation. But I'd rather just take the thrust of what we want to do. I'm Scott Schaefer. That's next on the final episode of The Political Mind of Jerry Brown. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. 